spooky friends. Welcome back to for another episode of Dairyland Frights, the paranormal podcast that covers everything spooky, creepy, and mysterious in the Midwest. My name is John, and today I am here with two co-hosts, uh, Brooke and Megan, who you love and know. How you guys doing? <laughs> I'm good. This is this is gonna be a brutal episode. I know it's a you know it's a it's a hard subject to talk about, but we're going yeah. back to our midwestern roots. Last you know last week we kind of took a little tour around the world to Europe and all that, and we're coming back to Iowa today. So. Yes. Excited. So our last episode was <laughs> going from Iowa. <laughs> yeah. To, uh, like Italy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are all over the place, which is awesome. Um. So yes, this is kind of a brutal episode. So if you have kitties <laughs> listening to it, you might want to tell them to get out of the room or take the headphones off or put the headphones on if you got some, because uh, it's about the Velisca Axe Murder House and where a handful of people were brutally murdered with an axe in 1912. And we'll get into uh, all the details of it. So, like I said, it is a spooky episode, and it's a brutal episode, but it's a very interesting one because it's never been solved to this mm-hmm. day. Um, but before we get to that, we have an update. So, from one of our previous <laughs> podcasts, uh, Megan said she found a cross in her basement, and and I was like so excited. I'm like. Is this the portal to hell? Is this where <laughs> I hope not, to? John. <laughs> well, I was hoping, Megan. So, <laughs> anyway. You don't have to live here, John. <laughs> I do. I know, uh, but it's still fun. Come on. Now, people, I want to tell you, it is actually a cross of protection. So that's good for Megan and her family. Um, <laughs> it has crystals on it. Um, if Megan wants to put out the picture, she's more than welcome to. That is her preference. I can do that um, for you guys. <laughs> and it's just crystals of protection. So one of the things I wanted to bring up here, because we always bring it at the end of the episode, if you have anything you want to talk about with crystals or anything with maybe some strange stuff you found in your house that has protected you or maybe, oh, I don't know, caused some issues, mm-hmm. please send a dairylandfrights at gmail.com. Or go to YouTube, put on a comment, because um, we'd love to hear those stories, right, ladies? If something's kind of spooky happening or you found something spooky, right, or creepy. Oh, yeah. I yeah. love personal Send stories. it our way. <laughs> yeah, so it's fine. Megan's fine. <laughs> <laughs> We're very, very lucky because Megan and Brooke can do more episodes. No one's going <laughs> to take them to a portal. Me, I'm disappointed. For now. Because, <laughs> yeah. For now. <laughs> Me, I was disappointed. I planned on camping out there and filming this. <laughs> Nothing spooky yet. Knock on wood. And <laughs> eating all the Cheetos. <laughs> right? No, Roasting some marshmallows. <laughs> <laughs> Keep yourself busy. <laughs> so, let's get right into it. Megan, set the scene. 1912, Villisca, Iowa. All right. <laughs> So I'm going to just start off by telling you a little bit more about the Velisca Axe Murder House, as very aptly named. So the Velisca Axe Murder House sits at 508 East 2nd Street, which is kind of like this quiet residential street in Velisca, Iowa. 
it's actually a really pretty house in my opinion. It's, you know, a white old framed house, kind of like what you would imagine if you were thinking of an, an old historic white house. Yep. Great Midwestern home on the outside at least, but when you're looking at it, you wouldn't really know that this is actually the site of some very brutal murders back in the early 1900s. Something interesting about this house is that it's also on the National Registry of Historic Homes, which is interesting. So it is protected. All right, so I'm gonna talk a little bit about the town of Villisca, Iowa. So this is in Montgomery County, which is in Southwest Iowa. And it's a pretty small town. It only has about a thousand people who live there. And I was looking at the population counts over the decades. And something really interesting to me is the population of Villisca just doesn't really grow. In fact, it's kind of going down year by year. Back in the early 1900s, there were over 2,000 people living there. And then it just kind of steadily decreased. And now it's at about half that which is hmm. interesting. But I personally think that, you know, that decline in population might be due in part by what happened back in 1912, just because mm -hmm. there was a lot of speculation about what happened. People were taking sides. People were getting in fights with each other. People were ending their friendships over this. Yeah. It, it's just right. a, a town with an interesting vibe. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. So I just wanted to delve into what Villisca looked like back in the early 1900s before the axe murders happened. Villisca was actually doing a pretty good job as far as a town. There were hey, lots Megan, Megan, yeah. do we need to close our eyes and envision this like we did with our last episode? Oh, yes, yes. Okay. Hair? Yep. Close your eyes and I, okay, will, got it. I will give I you got some, some good imagery. All right. <laughs> All right. Cool. So imagine... Oh. There's plenty of businesses. There's lining mm. the streets. There's lots of people walking around. Another cool thing is that this was actually, um, a, there was a depot there and there were several dozen trains coming in and oh, out all day. Nice. So this was actually a good thriving town back in the day. But I think the 1912 incident that happened really put a damper on the town. So, I, I mean, I couldn't even Google it without having the axe murders come up. Sure. So it's mm -hmm. kind of a tainted town, but um, yeah. still a very interesting story. So, Megan, was this the town where everybody be walking down the street and say, hello, George, hello, Jack. Hey, how's your family? Blah, yep, blah, blah. just like that, John. Exactly. Have a beer. Come over to the house <laughs> for dinner. Tonight we're going to do some, play some games or something, right? Stuff like that. Actually, that's a great segue into my next section. So mm. I'm going to talk about the Moore family who were unfortunately the people that were murdered in the house. So these people, they were actually very well known. They were well liked. They were a very affluent family, just like your good, you know, neighborhood family. There were six people in the family. There was uh, the father, Josiah. He was 43. The mother, Sarah, who was 39. And then they had four children together. Herman was 11, Mary Catherine, who was 10, Arthur, who was seven, and then Paul, who was five. So quite, quite an age range in there. Yeah. So I thought this would be interesting. I looked up the family home that these people lived in on Zillow, yeah. which is interesting. So today it's listed as a two bedroom, one bathroom house. It's not for sale. It's owned by someone who, um, rents it out for tours. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. But this house was built in 1900. It's 
pretty quaint. It's 913 square feet. And then it was actually assessed at $20,000 in 2021. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So maybe if you can scrounge up that money, you might be able to buy it. But who knows? We're doing a GoFundMe. Yeah. <laughs> oh, John, I don't want this house. Bad juju. <laughs> All right, we'll set up a GoFundMe for you guys. <laughs> All right, so for our viewers who are li or our listeners who are listening in, I just wanted to give kind of a little bit of imagery so you can think about this in your heads. So this is like a, a small white house that has a nice porch for sitting. It's got this brick chimney on it. There's skinny, tall windows. So it's a nice Midwestern house from the outside. But the thing that makes me laugh is there's this huge sign out front that says, the Liska Axe Murder House. <laughs> it's like, not oh. subtle. Okay, no, they they don't care. They want everyone. They do to not know. <laughs> So you know when I right? picture myself sitting on a rocking chair on the porch, Megan and Brooke having a lemonade, just be like, "Hey, neighbors, come on, it's perfect." Yeah, <laughs> sign and all. Just big murder murder house. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You know, what's also so interesting is when I was on Zillow, I was kind of looking around the neighborhood and it's yeah. just like your regular neighborhood. There's like mm -hmm. middle school nearby. There's uh, two churches nearby. So it's just this run of the mill right. house in the middle of nowhere, just random yep. neighborhoods. Exactly. So there's also a barn on the property. I didn't read too much about that, but I guess guests can use it. There's a restroom in there, water, electricity. So those yeah. two buildings are what make up the property. That is awesome. That that just just personally, I've been to Iowa a billion times. I have a ton of family in Iowa. Shout out to our people in Iowa. <laughs> I've been there many, 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 many times. This is the common house I would stay in. All everyone on my mom's side are farmers. So I've stayed in this house or this type of house many, many times. And let me tell mm -hmm. you, even if it wasn't an axe murder house, they're still creepy. <laughs> right. <laughs> every all these houses are really small. You're basically on top of one another. Mm -hmm. um, door frames were only made for people like five foot two, five foot four. So you're always like me. I'm five eleven. So you're always ducking. The house creaks and squeaks and makes all these noises. So when I was a little kid and I'd be sleeping there. I would be like <laughs> not sleeping because I'd be like my mm. mind wild. You know, what's in this? Mm -hmm. What's going on? Uh, most of them too, uh, not all of them, but have these dirt basements. So, you know, all Ooh. those serial killer movies. <laughs> right. <laughs> the people like in the basement. Like think Silence of the Lambs basement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the basement. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and the other thing I want to just really quickly is just, the neighbors, how would you like to get up every morning and just look out and be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. Right? This is I, true. I, I think it'd just be really creepy or like wake up at 3, 3 a.m. and look out and see a light in the house. And you're like, oh, I guess get used to it. I don't know. Yeah. Dairylandsbrightsgmail.com so. if you're used to it. <laughs> Sitting <laughs> next to a haunted house, let us know. So. All right. Well, Megan, thank you very much. That was awesome. I can picture myself there. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully I don't know about that. me. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll invite you over. No problem. Um, so 
now this get where we're getting in the deep end, folks. So again, if you have any young kids listening, um, might want to tell them to leave the room or put on your headphones, whatever you need to do. So um, this is the night of the crime, and Brooke will get into the, the details. And of course, she'll put her little warning on there too, right, Brooke? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so I got this from a website called Iowa Code Cases. And they had a lot of great information on there. Talk about the Villisca murder house, which in Iowa, this is going to sound really weird. They actually celebrate it. They actually not celebrate it in the sense of, hey, let's have a party. They celebrate it on the news, the anniversary. Mm -hmm. Every Halloween when I was down or in October, when I was down in Iowa, they would have it on the news. Hey, come to Villisca Axe Murder House and Mm -hmm. take a tour. I mean, to them, it's just, like, part of legend. Isn't that strange, Megan and Brooke? (laughs) It is. I guess, you know, it does, in a weird, I mean, we talk about how, like, these spots become tourist attractions a lot on our episodes, but I feel like, you know, even when it's something gruesome and awful, it still brings in revenue for the city and for the state, so... Right? Kind of have to a little bit, but it is, like, weirder when it's something like this. When it's just a spooky cryptid it's like oh fun cool yeah or like right, a right, ghost right. but this is like a little bit weirder but yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah megan what do you think about that that they kind of advertise it <laughs> and celebrate it kind of in a way it it's interesting because it's almost keeping the stories of the family alive yeah you know, sure. after the terrible yeah, things that happened point. to them but I could definitely see where it might go a little overboard by you know charging mm. money for tours getting people to stay there yeah. So I, I'm a little in the middle on it. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, sure. it's a gray area, uh, definitely a gray area. Uh, because, you know, again, if you go on to Vliska Axe Murder House uh, website, um, they do charge for tours. I believe they're 50 bucks, 30 bucks um, for a daylight tour. And then it is up to $500 for an overnight stay. Um, one of the things, uh, just again, quickly, um, I did call. <laughs> like last year, because I wanted to take my daughter with me to do an overnight stay, because believe mm. it or not, she's kind of in the paranormal. She chickened <laughs> out, of course. Uh, <laughs> but they told me it was like 500 bucks for me and my daughter to stay overnight. And at that time, they had no air conditioning, and mm. I wanted to go Oof. in July. Oh, so, yeah, no thanks. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you. I'm in a sweat box, right? So, <laughs> all right, let's get right into it. Sometime around midnight... Sunday, June 9th, and Monday, June 10th, 1912, a person or persons. Now, remember, when we talk about our suspects later, remember, it's a person or persons, they think, entered the modest house in Villisca, Iowa, and bludgeoned to death eight people. Mm. Sleeping there, two adults, six children, ages 5 through 12. These killings were known as the Villisca Axe Murders and are easily the most notorious murders in Iowa history. Um, And Megan already talked about the family. There were two other little girls there, um, Lena and um, I believe Isa Selinger. I think it's Ina. Ina May. Ina. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, And we'll get into it, but basically I feel sorry for them too because they weren't supposed to be there that night. They went mm-hmm. over as like yeah. a sleepover. We'll get into more detail, but yeah, that's what makes it even more sad. Those girls were not supposed to be there. Um, mm-hmm. So 
the murder spawned. This is crazy. Ten years of investigations. Isn't that crazy, Megan and Brooke? Ten wow. years? Yeah. Makes sense, so, Into the 1920s, mm-hmm. they talked about this. And we're still talking about it, right? Obviously. Mm-hmm. They had repeated grand jury hearings, a spectacular slander suit, which we're not get into because it's kind of ridiculous what was going on. Of course, a murder trial, numerous minor litigations and trials. I mean, this was a mess for like 10 years, a little mm-hmm. bit more. I'm going to get into that a little bit. And this crime actually m- made, and I can't believe this, and broke political careers. Oh, so wow. there were people who were part yeah. of this, who their, career, their political career was totally destroyed, or some guy kind of think today, I, I, I use like some politicians who go, oh, this is a horrible crime. And they put their whole, you know, um, how do I say, policy behind it. And, you know, maybe they don't care because they're trying to get a vote. It was kind of scary, you know, when I think about it and kind of sad. And so the legislation, (laughs) there was actually legislation that was written in response to this uh, terrible tragedy and including establishing the current State Bureau of Criminal Investigation. So this actually made laws (laughs) about this. I mean, you again, you cannot understand how important this was in this case, what it did. Now, Brooke, is, uh, she always does a great job. She's going to talk about the crime and, and, you know, again, she do a little warning there. But my mom has been to the Villisca murder house twice. She didn't take me. Thanks a lot, Ma. Um, <laughs> but uh, again, she what she told me was, yeah. It's just like in regular old farmhouse, you know. Um, my mom um, liked the paranormal too. That's partly where I get it from. Um, but she was like, "Yeah, it's an old farmhouse. It's creepy and it's kind of strange." But I, my mom, grew up in a house like that in Iowa, so it's not really that scary to her. And like, I, here's the weird thing: when we get into it, is farmhouses I've been into, there's no way you could sneak around. <laughs> I dare you. Because every farmhouse I was at, you know, my cousins would get up at like five in the morning and I would hear them, even when they were trying to sneak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Creaky. Get, be, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it was just weird. And then like when my uncle would get up and go to the bathroom or something, it was just creak, creak, crack. So you're like, how did this person kill eight people, especially little kids, which when I had little kids, <laughs> My little brats, <laughs> if dad got up, when I would get up and do something, either they would, daddy, or something would happen. And I'd be like, man. <laughs> so, again, when they talk about the crime, just understand, there are a bunch of little kids in there. And if you have little kids or have been around little kids, they don't really like to sleep that much. And they pretty much hear everything. So, those are two things I just wanted to bring up that, again, that really make this more strange so without further ado uh brooke let's talk about the meat and potatoes of this crime is <laughs> best way to put it i guess yeah <laughs> um so this is uh this is where it's gonna get a little gruesome so um yeah. just a, another additional extra warning um i'm gonna you know lay it all out there about what happened so uh like john was saying before uh they believe that around midnight is when the killer 
uh, did his crimes. Uh, we'll get into a little bit later whether or not the killer entered the home or whether or not he might have already been there waiting for them to come home. Right. <clears throat> it's a little bit interesting that way. But um, essentially, he started, we assume that it's a he, it might be multiple people as well. Yep. Um, but he started with the adults in the family. Um, he killed them first. And then the children of the Moore family were on the same floor as the parents. And then after that, lastly, he uh, killed the two Sillinger girls who were sleeping in the um, on the main floor. So, um, again, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit. But to kind of go move on a little bit, the following day, Mary Peckham was the Moore family's neighbor. And she was um, awake at 530 like she normally was. She kind of left her house. She was, you know, doing chores, hanging up some laundry. And she noticed by 7 a.m. that the family still wasn't moving around she didn't see any motion over there and she thought that was odd because normally by that time of the day they were up and kind of tending to their horses doing their daily chores at that point but she thought it was weird that she didn't see them so around this time at 7 a.m their untended horses began neighing so she was getting kind of a little bit annoyed you know like hey come on take care of your horses so she walked over to the home and she knocked on the front door but no one answered so she tried to open the front door because usually um, they didn't really lock their their doors. People in like these little Midwestern towns didn't really. I mean, so to this day, they might not like it's their no. They always think of themselves as living in very safe homes and safe locations. So um, so she tried to open the door and it was locked and she thought that was kind of strange. And she at this point is getting concerned. So Mary decided to call uh, Josiah Moore's or Joe Moore's brother, Ross. So he ended up being the one to arrive at the house around 830. So about an hour and a half later, there's still no motion over there. And he actually had a pair of keys. So he opened the door and walked in. And so he was the one to actually find the family in the state that they were in. And obviously he freaked out. Um, he ran out of the building and he was like, we need to get the, the town marshal here immediately. So... This is where like all shit like hits the fan. I like <laughs> this is mind boggling to me what happened after this. Like it's yeah. it's like psychotic. So yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. So before the investigation even started, um, the town marshal got there, and somewhere around 100 people from this town were allowed to go into the home. <laughs> while the bodies of the eight victims were still there. Like, they had not cleaned up anything. Yeah. None of the investigators were even there yet. They were just, like, letting people in. And I guess the town marshal was thinking, like, oh, like, let's see. Let's have people, like, pick up the axe. And let's see if they could, like, carry <laughs> oh my it. God. And, yeah, like, he was trying to get people to, like, <sighs> swing it around to see if, like, oh, you know, maybe... <laughs> We can figure out who did it based on this. Like, just wild. I don't mean to laugh. It, <laughs> yeah, but it's so like, disrespectful. It's, like, right? So it's sad. I mean, it is like laughable because it's absolutely insane. Like, I mean, even for 1912, this is like yeah. crazy, right? Because they still had fingerprints in 1912. Yeah. Like, obviously, they didn't have like the DNA yeah. analysis we have now, but they could have still used fingerprints to try to figure out who actually had the weapon. But obviously, after 100 people have touched the friggin' axe, like, they can't do that anymore. <laughs> So, and obviously now people are like walking all over the house and there's like bloody fit footprints yep. that they're probably tracking through and stuff. And so now they can't even really use the footprints and mm -hmm. like it, it completely contaminated the entire, yes. um, the entire crime scene. 
and and this is this is wild but uh and this was from the smithsonian like website so i assume that this is true because it's the smithsonian but apparently one person actually went up to josiah and sarah's room and he took a piece of josiah moore's skull like as a keepsake like how psychotic is that like these are he probably like knew them right like this is a tiny town everyone knows each other and you're gonna like oh god i just can't even imagine but anyway Finally, around noon, the Velisca National Guard finally arrives and they <laughs> secure the scene. They like get everyone the hell out of there so that oh they can God. actually start like collecting evidence and it's trying to figure late. out what happened. Yeah. yeah. And at this point, well, yeah. Obviously, yes, yeah, too late. Like they <laughs> all the, but the a lot of the evidence is yeah, just not useful anymore. But they there was like a lot of things that they were still able to kind of gather based on the crime scene. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit now about the evidence that was found. Um, so we're going to talk first about like the crime scene evidence, um, and then talk about kind of like the state of the bodies of the victims. So in terms of the crime scene, they found the axe itself in the room with the Stillinger girls, like propped up against the wall. Um, and this was actually Josiah Moore's axe. So the, um, whoever killed them didn't like bring the axe with them and the axe was Josiah's. So it was found in the room where the cylinder girls were sleeping. And um, upstairs, there was actually a large gash found in the wall of the parents' mm. room. Um, and it was right above their mirror. Um, and you can actually still see it. It's still there if you go uh, visit the the house, like the yep. gash is still in the wall. Yep. And um, and they believe that the gash was made by the upswing of the axe. So mm. as he was like preparing, the, as the killer was preparing to um, kill one of the two of them. Um, and what's something that's strange, and this kind of will come up a couple times, but the mirror itself was covered with clothing. Um, and the, obviously like they assumed that this was the killer who did this. And he like took clothing out of their like dresser and was like covering the mirrors and covering like yeah. all the mirrors and glass in the house mm-hmm. after he did this. Um, right. He also pulled all the blinds closed. So he drew, drew all the blinds in the house. Again, they assumed that he did this. He was like trying to cover everything, like every piece of glass, every mirror, every, like everything that was in there. Um, Something very odd <laughs> that this is like even more odd. Yeah, even more odd. I can't even like begin to understand what this yeah. was about. Propped up next to the axe was a actually I think it was four. I can't. Some sources said two pounds. Some sources said four. I believe it was <laughs> okay. a four. Yes, four pound slab of raw bacon wrapped in a dish towel, um, which again was presumed to have been taken out of the family's <laughs> own freezer box. So like why he did bacon yeah i have no idea like literally no idea what could and i didn't find any theories either about like why that would have been the case um maybe he was gonna steal it and then forgot it i don't know um but yeah so that was like sitting right next to the axe something else that was kind of interesting that again i'll come back to in a little bit was there was an oil lamp found at the top of the stairs um with the chimney of the lamp laid to the side and the wick bent down um Hmm. i don't really know how oil lamps fully work but apparently they think he did this um to like uh make the light a little bit less intense so that he could like more easily move through the dark without being seen ah okay yeah and again i will come back to this because there's something very interesting about this but also there were cigarette butts 
um, and bloody footprints found in the kitchen. Um, I also, there was one source that said there were cigarette butts found in the attic as well, yes. which is why, um, but then apparently if you go on the official tour, they actually tell you that, no, that's not true. There were not yeah. cigarette butts. So I'm not really um, sure if that's the case or not. I'm assuming yeah. no, no. Um, but, but there were cigarette butts in the kitchen. Yep. Um, another very strange thing is there was evidence found that the murderer had That's actually sick, cooked man. himself a meal after That's the killings so were, ah, yeah, yeah, like twisted. he, mm -hmm. like he kills eight people and then like goes and prepares himself a meal. But I, that from what I understood, he didn't. Yeah, it didn't look like he ate it though. I guess like it was still a full plate of food. Um, so that's mm. interesting. Um, but then there was also like a basin, like a big bowl of mm. like bloody water also in the kitchen too. Like he had used it to clean his hands oh. or something like that. Again, wow. I mentioned that because it will come up again, but, and then once he was, once everything was all said and done here, um, he must've stolen the keys either from like a keychain. I know there was a keychain laying, um, in the kitchen as well, or out of like Josiah's pockets or something, but he mm -hmm. left and locked the door behind him and took the key with him. Like they never found the key. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. So that was that's what he did, and then uh, uh, some evidence regarding the body. So this part's a little bit more gruesome. So uh, Josiah was presumably the first person who was attacked, and he was also the only victim who was actually killed with the sharp edge of the right. axe. So yeah. every other victim, all the other eight were bludgeoned, or all the other seven were bludgeoned to death with the blunt end, like the back end of the axe. Mm. But Josiah, this killer was hitting him with the sharp end and they said that like he was also the one who got like the most um the most bludgeoned and he's like his eyes i guess were like missing he yeah. was very very yeah. in a bad way obviously yeah. yeah 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 um the other like crazy thing to me is that all of the victims were presumed to have been killed in their sleep like there were no signs of an apparent struggle um except for with lena stillinger so yeah one of the two girls that was in the main floor. So she actually had her arm kind of arranged in a position above her head as though she was like trying to stop the attacker. And she had a defensive wound on one of her forearms, I believe, and some blood on one of her knees. Um, Lena, so the same girl, was also found with her nightgown pushed up and the lower half of her body exposed with no undergarments. Yeah. And um, there was no immediate evidence that she had been sexually assaulted, but it sounded like that they didn't really do a thorough check for that. So it is possible, yeah. but yeah. it wasn't, um, it wasn't like right. super clear. Yeah. Um, and then each of the victims was determined to have been struck in their skulls 20 to 30 times with wow. like one end of the ax. Yeah. Which is wow. insane. And then more on Josiah's case. So he was hit yeah. the most times. Um, and they actually think like when describing it, that he like the killer likely went in like, hit each person probably once like killing them instantly and then came yeah. back to each person and like kept hitting them additional Yikes. times which wow. is yeah That's pretty crazy yeah. yeah um and then all eight victims were found with bedding or clothing covering their faces um after he had killed them obviously yeah um so they were obviously in very rough states but it's just crazy to think that like lena potentially was the only one who actually woke up like yeah to all of this because like you were saying john right. it's like not easy to sneak around an old house like this but this guy no. was somehow able to absolutely not you know and maybe it was like windy or rainy that night who knows but um, yeah you don't know right but yeah um but then so there's a little bit of like 
uh, debate on how the killer actually got into the into the house in the first place. So some people believe that he removed a screen from the first floor window. Um, however, some said that this wasn't really plausible with like how the crime yeah. scene was like laid out. Yeah. Others believe that potentially the front door was unlocked and he just walked right in, which is possible. <laughs> sure. yeah, um, highly possible. I feel like though the most uh, accepted and kind of creepy theory is that yeah. um, he was actually sitting in the attic waiting for the family to come home, which I <sighs> do feel like makes the most sense because yeah. especially given the fact that he used Josiah's axe, like it makes yeah. more sense that he already had it because if he just walked into the house like he might not have known where the axe was like if this was his intent you would think that he would have already had the right. axe with him so yeah um so i think that's why people for the most part think that he was in the attic waiting for the family to come home plus the fact that he attacked the parents first mm-hmm. so it kind of makes more sense that he started from the top and like went down in yeah the, in the structure of the house so um and then in terms of a motive, uh, investigators did not find any evidence of mm-hmm. a robbery. Um, and again, no like obvious evidence of sexual assault, but um, mm. that but that even if like he did, um, even if the killer did sexual assault Lena, um, that wasn't presumed to be the motive of the killing. Right. Um, and there was no other real clear reason why the Moore family was targeted. So a motive was not right. um, and has still not been determined to this day, although um from here, we're going to go into talking about suspects, and each of the individual suspects do kind of have a motive, um, but some of them more so than others. So uh, Megan's going to start by talking about uh, talking about one of the most plausible suspects. We have like three most plausible suspects, um, but they're, you know, I think like uh, pretty much everyone in the town at some point was a suspect because it's such a small yeah. town and they were so suspicious of each other after this that like, you know, it was not a good time to be living in Villisca, obviously, but there were like three people that kind of stood out of, um, among the rest. So Megan's going to talk about one of those now. All right. The guy that I'm going to talk about, his name was Henry Lee Moore, which you might think more that has to do with the family that was murdered. But these two people actually weren't related in any way. So they just had the same last name. So he was one of the murder subjects and he kind of, you know, came to light because he actually was convicted of murdering his mother and grandma with an ax several months after the murders in Villisca occurred. So people were you know, making up theories that, oh, this must be like an axe-wielding serial killer. Like, maybe yeah. he did it. Right. So again, there was a lot of talk about, you know, there's there's similarities between the cases. You know, maybe it was him. So a little background on Henry Lee Moore. He was kind of a seedy dude. <laughs> so I can understand why some people might have pointed fingers at right. him. Maybe he did it. Some people described him as a friendly looking man, which is interesting because I, I don't know if I agree with that, but he okay. did some like very weird <laughs> things. Like yeah, one yeah. thing that he had a fascination with was visiting morgues because he liked seeing what <laughs> yeah. dead bodies look like. Right. And then he also collected mm. newspaper scraps from infamous criminal cases so oh, i just don't boy. think this guy was all there he's a real winner <laughs> yeah. but here's one of the weirdest things that he did so he falls in love with this 16 year old 16 year old girl named queenie quite a bit younger than he was but mm. she rejected him because he didn't own his own house obviously that was very important back in the day so <laughs> 
what this guy does is he writes a letter back to Queenie and he says, soon my mother's home would be mine, will be mine, along with all the money that she has. Mm. Like, mm, mm, sure. yeah, but it's going to be his because he's planning on murdering this her. lady. <laughs> Yikes. So in regard to the Velisca murders, few residents really believed that Henry Lee Moore was the person who did it, but mm. um, something interesting. One of the girls that was killed, Lena, Lena, her father, Joseph Stillinger, she uh, he actually claimed that a man who kind of looked like Henry Lee Moore used to work for him, but he only worked there for a week and then he just went missing. Mm. So there was talk that like maybe you know, the murderer was going by like a, a fake name. Yeah. I, it was an interesting theory, but right. um, they went and confronted more in prison. But I, the general consensus is that that's the, the worker. And then Henry Lee Moore, they probably weren't the same person. So I, I'm, I think he was kind of, you know, let go from being a possible suspect, but we still don't really know to this day. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, he sounds like a scumbag, but maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, plus Mm. people were trying to like fit different axe murders from like different states all together. And it's just a little bit too far fetched for me to have them all be connected. So I think people were just trying to find some answers and make the puzzle piece fit with this man. But. I think they kind of dropped the story that he might be the one who did it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that's a really interesting suspect. Uh, so let me get on to my suspect, which, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's Again, you guys tell me what you guys think. So I got this from a really great article called, uh, it was actually a website called The Daily Cost. And the article is called The Odd Little Preacher. Now, <clears throat> there are some here that, again, are a little R-rated. <laughs> so same thing, you know, with kitties. Um, so one of the biggest things was afterwards the at 5.19 a.m. Now, how did someone get 5.19 a.m.? <laughs> I don't know, but this was what they're saying. The morning following the murders. The Reverend Lynn George Jacqueline Kelly, that's a mouthful, left <laughs> on board a westbound number five train and allegedly told fellow travelers there were eight dead souls back in Villisca, Iowa, butchered in their beds while they slept. He said, even though the bodies had not yet been discovered. So he, he mm, just weird. Told random, random person. Um, which was right. That's kind of weird enough. So a little bit about this guy, and this is this is not my words. This is the, from the article. The guy was a major pervert, um, <laughs> and mm. had a mental breakdown. Um, so again, this is so weird. What they said when he was preaching from the pulpit, he was a competent, well-versed, and articulate speaker. But in personal interactions, he's now this was really interesting. He's only five foot tall and he's 190 mm-hmm. pounds. Now, remember what I said Ooh. earlier. 
typical farmhouses, their door frames and, and heights of their ceilings, about 5'4", five, 5'5". Five, five. Not very mm-hmm. high. But just think about that for a second. He's only five foot um, tall. He's 119 pounds. So remember I told you, like, sneaking around 119 pounds? You know, that's not too heavy. But, you know, he, if, if he's a little guy sneaking around, who knows, right? Um, and when he was, this is their description. He was a ner- He had a nervous demeanor, shifty eyes, and often spoke so quickly that saliva would dribble down his chin. <laughs> oh, God. So imagine talking to this guy, and he's like, blah, 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 blah. and you're like, uh. Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, he did have a nervous breakdown, huh? Yeah, so yeah. he, um, <laughs> and he also had, he had been, I'm not going to get into the, the real deal of this guy, but he'd been in and out of asylums, in and out of mental hospitals. He had preached all around the Midwest, and he didn't stay long. Um, so that's why there are some other mur- axe murders, uh, axe murders in the area that they kind of pinned on him too. Um, and this is uh, just one thing I just wanted to share. Uh, again, this is, uh, again, high stuff, <laughs> is that this is one thing he did. He once wrote to this one woman uh, about being his secretary, uh, but he wanted her to type in the nude. <laughs> well, I'm sure that went over really well. Weird dude. Yeah, so uh-huh. he, he was convicted of sending obscene material through the mail and, yes, had spent time in a mental hospital. And this wasn't the first time. Um, imagine if I send both of you an email saying, hey, let's do this podcast in the nude. <laughs> Like, yeah. like, um, okay, we're, we're out, right? See ya. See you later, John. Have a good life. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the weird thing was he was brought to trial and everything. I don't know if we want to get into this right now, but I- I'll just kind of skip ahead a little bit. He was brought to trial, and when he came back himself two weeks later, he came back on the number five train because there was a warrant out for him, and he learned about it. And like I said, he he came back on the same train he left on. Um, but again, he was never convicted. So mm-hmm. he was, you know, um, again, looked at by the grand jury. Um, there was one other thing that I just want to say um, that there was this guy, on, um, this Reverend J.J. Burns, he told the grand jury when he was like sitting in this county seat of Red Oak, wherever that is, that a mystery man had confessed on his deathbed to the murderers. And then um, that's what stemmed from when this crime happened. You got to remember, this crime happened in 1912. He was not brought back until much later for uh, this reverend um was not brought back you know like right away this takes time so it was it was like really confusing this whole story is like people just hearsay like people are saying on their deathbed people are like yeah this guy's kind of a strange guy and he was in the area and he's been in and out of mental hospitals and you know he's kind of hanging around and you know there were stories that he really liked um uh, Josiah Moore's wife, Sarah. Uh, he's very attracted mm-hmm. toward, towards her. 
and the kids and something like that. So there was a lot of hearsay, in other words, that this guy could do it. So, uh, Brooke, why don't you talk about your suspect? Uh, yeah, so um, this next suspect, uh, is it's interesting. So this is um, this guy's name is Frank F. Jones. So at the time, he was actually an Iowa state senator. Um, and many believe that Frank actually had, well, actually it was kind of confirmed that Frank really did not like Josiah at all, um, for a number of reasons. So they had actually worked together for seven years. Um, Frank actually owned a farm equipment business and Josiah was a kind of his star salesman. So he made him a lot of money. Hmm. Um, again, they worked together for seven years and they were like kind of buddies, but then, um, I guess Frank expected Josiah to work these like insane hours. Like he was working, from like 7 a.m. until like 11 p.m. So Josiah was like, screw you, buddy. I'm going to like go do my own thing. And when he left, I guess he kind of stole like the John Deere account that they were like working on Ooh. and oh. took a lot of his business with him. Um, and he kind of started doing the same thing on his own. So then they were like rivals. And at that point, they really did not get along. There was also a very um, prominent rumor like kind of seems more like a trumor like it probably happened um that <laughs> yeah, josiah <laughs> that josiah had had an affair with frank jones's daughter-in-law donna jones and this girl was like wild and too like she was definitely Ooh. like sleeping around <laughs> and i guess like i again i did not put this in the outline so i don't remember exactly <laughs> what this was but she i guess so back at this time every call that you made had to like go through an operator and she would like call around and like try to set up all these like i don't know like booty calls with guys like through operators like everyone everyone knew what was going on so she was not you know she was a little um promiscuous so gotcha. apparently josiah was one of those guys that she had kind of had a thing with so that was another reason that uh frank jones did not uh like josiah because obviously presumably i guess frank jones's son was married to this woman mm. so apparently by 1912 like if they came across each other in the street they would like walk to the other side of the street like they did oh. not want to be in the same place at the same time oh <laughs> um and by 1916 there was actually another like prominent theory by the town that uh jones had hired a man to kill the family which i'll talk about him in a second but it was kind of oh. interesting to me because i guess like it was like a 50 yeah. 50 divide and who thought what based on like what church they were part of so oh. um I can't remember exactly what it was. I think uh, uh, the, jo the Josiah was part of like the Presbyterian church and his family. And then I think Frank Jones was part of like the Methodist church. And it was basically like, if you were part of the Methodist church, you believed that Jos like someone else did it. And if you're part of the Presbyterian church, you believe that mm. Frank Jones did it. Um, and so it just like created more of like this rift and divide within the community. So that was kind of crappy, but so the theory though that he had hired someone a lot of people thought he hired this man named william mansfield to kill a family mm. and william mansfield was kind of an interesting guy of his own um so he seemed like the most likely suspect to some people so he actually murdered his wife um infant and in-laws with axe oh, and boy. he was um he was a potential perpetrator in another mass axe attack in Kansas just four days before the Velisca case, which was crazy. Oh. But he was never like actually, um, it was never confirmed that he did that. Um, that was just like, a, it was because like he killed his family with an axe and then this other family and then this family died by axe. So they were just like, oh, maybe it's all this guy. Yeah. Um, 
And the, I believe that the Kansas one, it was just a couple, like two random, like just two people who died. Um, but they thought that like, because each of these sites was accessible by train and each of the uh, crime scenes had like kind of similar um, attributions, I guess, like they were like, oh, maybe it was all the same guy. It was all this hmm. William Mansfield guy. However, this guy actually had like a rock solid alibi for the Voliska case in particular. So he, there were actually hmm. payroll records proving that he had been working several hundred miles away in Illinois at the time. Hmm. So they were never able to convict him. But while neither man, uh, Frank Jones or William Mansfield, were convicted, um, the whole ordeal definitely ruined Frank Jones' political career. Like he, you know, right. any further. And the other thing too was that Ross Moore, so Joe Joe Moore's brother, and Joe Stillinger, the father of the Stillinger girls, were both like convinced that Frank Jones had something to do with it. Mm. Um, but so this is like something interesting. So Megan mentioned before that there's like this theory of this axe wielding serial killer who is like going around to all these Midwestern yeah. towns and like killing people with an ax. Right. And, and it seems far fetched, but there's like some interesting connections. Um, so not that I necessarily think that any of the people that we mentioned were the serial killer. In fact, I don't think that it no. was, but, uh, but from 1911 to 1912, there were specifically like 10 very similar cases that happened and they weren't all in the Midwest. I think like, eight of them were but there was also one in like washington but mm. that one was still accessible by train and then i think colorado was the other like odd one out sure but the rest of them happened in like minnesota illinois iowa um i think one in missouri mm -hmm. um, and they were all like families and then they all had some like very interesting commonalities so this is a this is kind of a long quote, but this is a direct quote from the Smithsonian Institute. And I wanted to bring it up because, again, I think it's really interesting. And I had never heard about some of this stuff before. So, yeah. sorry, let me just <clears throat> clear my throat before I start. <laughs> um, yeah. So this is the quote. So the use of an axe in almost every case was perhaps not so remarkable in itself. While there certainly was an unusual concentration of axe killings in the Midwest at this time, almost every family in rural districts owned such an implement and often left it lying in their yard. As such, it might be considered a weapon of convenience. Mm. Similarly, the fact that the victims died asleep in their beds was likely a consequence of the choice of weapon. An axe is nearly useless against a mobile target, which makes sense. Um, yet other similarities among the crimes are much harder to explain away. In eight of the 10 cases, the murder weapon was found abandoned at the seat of the crime, in as many as seven, there was a railway line nearby. In three, including Villisca, the murders took place on a Sunday night. Just as significant, perhaps four of the cases, Paolo, Villisca, Rainier, and a solitary murder that took place in Mount Pleasant, Iowa, featured killers who covered their victims' faces. Three murderers had washed their hands at the scene and like a basin of bloody water. Mm -hmm. And at least five of the killers had lingered in the murder house. Hmm. Perhaps most striking of all, though, two other homes, those of the victims in the Ellsworth and Paola murders, had been lit by lamps in which the chimney had been laid to the side and the wink wick was bent down, just as it had been Ooh. in the window, like that oh, oil lamp. Yeah, which I thought was so interesting, because like that seems like such a specific thing to it do. Is. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like... That, that, like, leads me to believe, like, okay, maybe there is something to this whole, like, serial killer theory. Because mm -hmm. 
because it's very interesting and the fact that like the so the payola mad murder that i mentioned so that one also had the the lamp thing and then also um i believe happened on a sunday night um and the murderer had covered the faces of the victims that happened literally mm. four days before the Velisca murders. So mm. like, and you know, in 1912, it's not like word is traveling that fast where right. like someone would be like inspired yeah. and then go do the same thing. Like, it seems like, it seems to me that very likely that the same person committed those two murders. Um, but at the same time, it also seems likely that whoever committed it had like a specifically, something against josiah just because they murdered him first they murdered only him with the sharp end of the axe and like bludgeoned him the most times um so i guess i kind of like go back and forth between whether i think it was kind of like a random like serial killer attack or if it was yeah someone who had something specifically against josiah but but i guess it could be both you know maybe yeah it could be both yeah, maybe it was someone who had something against him and like they they wanted to practice, I don't know, like a different murder before yes. killing hey. his whole family. I don't know, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, but yeah. Remember, remember back in the day, like like I said, the axe which you could, you know, you can find in in the front yard. In fact, you could just, you know, mm-hmm. hey, can I borrow your axe? Yeah, here you go. Right, yeah, just I, yeah. yeah. Right, like it is today, mm-hmm. where people are like, "Ah, can you bring it back?" And when people would be like, "You know, whatever," kind of attitude. Right, um, like it was just laying around. Yeah, all the time. And they even, right? yeah, and they said that Josiah's axe in particular was always like in his horse barn, which Megan mm-hmm. mentioned was on the property. So, yeah, so he would, you know, if the person, even if you didn't know that it was there, you would probably like assume that it was there. Yeah. So. Yeah, and a lot of these people who rode the rails were not what you would call um, upstanding citizens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. if, you would, if you would give a guy a few bucks, like, hey, I'm yeah. going to feed you, I'm going to give you a place to stay for the night, um, could you do this for me? <laughs> you yeah, know, right. guys, like, unfortunately, there are people out there who say yes to those th- things. Mm-hmm. Which is, yeah, but this is more planned out, you know what I mean? So if it was just some guy that they got off the train you know what i mean right. they're not think about going through these things they've had to commit the crime before about the best way yeah. to do it, right well especially if he was like hanging out in their attic waiting for them right. to come home and all right. of that like it definitely seems like it was premeditated not just like a random thing exactly exactly yeah because something else i wanted um yeah so i just wanted to mention about the guy that you mentioned the reverend um yeah, lynn please. kelly um he, I guess he was left-handed and they said Ooh. that it was, um, I guess the forensic analysis, like at the time thought that whoever committed this was left-handed because of the way that like the blood spatter was mm. positioned and stuff. Um, so that was just something that I thought was interesting. Although I don't really, I don't know, the like, that guy just seems like a smarmy weird dude. Like, I don't really think he <laughs> did right. it. He just, he seems like, cause I think he even like admitted to it at one point but then yes, he yeah. took it back yeah, yeah. And, but i just i don't know i don't really buy that it was him because i'm like it really like a 119 pound guy like swinging this axe like i mean he hit everyone yeah. like 20 times i mean it's gruesome mm-hmm. to think about but he must have swung that axe like 200 times i just don't think like a tiny <laughs> right. little dude would have done yeah. that yeah right? And the other thing, remember I said he was a major pervert? <laughs> yeah, right. Which, so yeah. why wouldn't he do something with the women first? 
Yeah, right. right. Which again, terrible thing to think, but also yeah. like right. it does seem like that would have been the case if it was him. Like he seemed mm. to be very motivated by right. By Why that. not? Why not yeah. kill Josiah? And then you know, well, we get yeah. what he's gonna do. You know, so um, right. So that's a little bit. At first, when I was reading it, I was like thinking, "Oh, this guy maybe just went over there." And then I'm like, "No, wouldn't you invite a reverend? Hey, reverend, would you like to come over and have dinner? Right? Sure, yeah. I'll have dinner with you. You know what I mean? You're not gonna. I don't know. It just seems weird that he, and why he would admit to it, other than he's just has certain mental issues. That yeah, it seems like yeah, he seems kind of like a like a just a weirdo who maybe wants to be like recognized for something and he's just like since people were suspecting him he was just like yeah i did it because he wanted some kind of like attention yeah right but, but Brooke uh, megan here's my only thing that keeps him in the lineup for me <laughs> is that again he there was no notice of this because remember um the friend of the family who came in and she you know was kind of looking around i believe it was was it mary was a friend of yeah, the family. Yeah, she was a neighbor, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, remember, she comes, was I believe it was 5.30. Mm-hmm. Okay? He said, now, where did they get 5.19 a.m.? Like a bum's looking at his watch. and we go, hey, it's 5.19 a.m. <laughs> yeah. You said. But for him to say that, the only thing I could think of is, well, somebody screwed up the time, which that happens all the time. Right. But he got on the train. He was looking around. Someone goes, oh, oh my God, you know, they're mm-hmm. dead, and and then, like you said, everybody's walking around. Hey, look at the axe. Hey, look at this. And he's right, yeah, right. He's having that fantasy. And he gets on the mm-hmm. train, and he says, "Hey, you know, this happened." And people are like, "Well, oh, yeah." That's so, what I feel like happened. Like I feel like he probably was one of the people who went into the house and was like, yeah. "Oh, this is crazy," and then like <laughs> went and started talking about it on the train, and maybe right. someone just got the time wrong because. Yeah, I don't know. What do you think, Megan? Anything that stands out a little bit more to you than I mean, I could I could see him wanting the attention and just, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of rolling with the story, you know, getting, you know, people interested in it. Because he kind of seems like a bit self absorbed. So Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. And we see like a lot of um instances where someone with like mental issues like he does, like Mm -hmm. giving false confessions. Like it happens a lot, so I I feel like that doesn't really sway yeah. me into thinking that it was necessarily him. I feel like yeah, <clears throat> he just had a lot of a lot of stuff going on up in his head a little bit. Yeah. So so that's what makes this case so fascinating. At least uh, I think to everyone is we went through all these suspects that all are, had some way or another could have killed this family. Yet we're all sitting here going, mm, yeah, maybe, kind of, mm-hmm. right? Right. So to me, this case will be unsolved forever unless someone on their deathbed says, "It was my great, great, great." <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or great mm-hmm. uncle, or whatever it is, did this. But who would admit that? Like, who would admit right. that the killer, if they did this in 1912, it would have to be very young. Because if they were in their 30s or something, now they're over 100. Yeah, <laughs> right. They are still alive in some rest home in Iowa. But probably not, right? Mm-hmm. So, again, 
I don't think this will ever ever be solved. Do you do you guys think that? You think somebody will come forward and admit to it? <sighs> I'm gonna probably go. I don't think no. so. Yeah, I, especially but, with everything being so contaminated, they really handled that bad. And you know what's mm -hmm. so funny is the way the murderer left the scene. There were so many different ways yeah, that this person right. could have been caught if they mm -hmm. would have just done it right. Crazy. Yeah, even remotely right. <laughs> like he was so sloppy with how he left so many clues. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's like, like a, a miracle that he was not caught. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Even like a tiny amount of competency would have probably put <laughs> him <laughs> behind bars, but you know. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, we should uh, get to the paranormal on. stuff. Yeah, yeah like we we like to you know put put some a little bit of a little bit of fun twist and look at uh, look at the ghostly happenings that now that this place is kind of like a tourist attraction, some like interesting things that people have experienced while staying overnight there so john has an interesting story um, yeah. involving a wisconsin native uh yeah. <laughs> first so he's gonna, he's gonna talk about that so um i forgot to say it is 428 dollars a night to stay in the Valeska murder house that's a lot of money yeah it is um, especially for a small midwestern iowa house like in the middle of nowhere yeah. So let's get right to it. This is from Vice. Um, I also like Vice because they're pretty good with their reporting. And uh, anyway, so a gentleman by the name of Robert Stevenson Larson Jr., 37, of Rhinelander, Wisconsin. There's a police report on this, by the way, if you ever want to look it up. Um, went to the Velisca uh, murder house. And now stories vary. Some people said he came in with a couple older people. Some people said he came in with some friends. That's not really matter. But anyway, let's, he was not by himself uh, when he went in to stay over. Um, but <laughs> according to this, he was doing a recreational, and this is according to the Montgomery County Sheriff, Joe Sampson. He was doing a recreational paranormal investigation. Oh, this is going to go well. Oh, <laughs> and, okay. So... This is from the sheriff. Again, another police uh, uh, officer. So um, he said, from my understanding, he was alone in the northwest bedroom and the rest of the party was outside. And he called for help on their, on their mobile two-way radios. Uh, mm -hmm. Samson then told me um, he, his companions found him stabbed in his chest. Ooh, now, what? Apparently a, a self-reflected wound and he called nine they called 911 and then he's brought to the nearby hospital now here's two scary things two according to the montgomery county police report this is actual in the report the incident happened around 12 45 a.m which is said to be the approximate time mm. that the 1912 murders of josiah and sarah moore along with their four children and two visiting friends took place the exact mm -hmm. time that now, is interesting. There are numerous stories, just really uh, go through it quickly, is that he was actually trying to, uh, he was doing a Zach Baggins, mm -hmm. where he's like, yep. yelling, hey, come on. I want yep. to see you. <laughs> Try to get and then he got stabbed. The other thing is he had a Ouija board, and he was you know, fooling around with that. And then he's like, oh, come on, man. You got to stab me. Let's see. Mm -hmm. he got stabbed. Now, right. <laughs> by himself. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Um, so again, my point is, don't do anything like this, folks. Yeah, don't <laughs> pull us at Vegas. Okay. Number one, 
Number two, where I thought it was self-inflicted, but again, he says a dark energy took over him, stabbed him. He, like I said, he did live. He's fine. I don't know what he's doing now, but it doesn't matter. Um, but it, that was just weird, right? That it happened mm-hmm. in the same bedroom where um, the, uh, you know, I believe it's the kid's bedroom where the- It was, the- um, it was the, uh, the bedroom where the two girls- the, two like, girls, Stillinger, right. the Stillinger girls were Stillinger saying, girls, yeah. Um, happened at the same time that these took place. Um, mm-hmm. And just, again, don't provoke go. So, Brooke, yeah. <laughs> what do you got? <laughs> yeah, this is, so um, I am a big fan of, well, it was BuzzFeed Unsolved. Now yeah. the, the two creators of that have moved on to Watcher, their new uh, paranormal channel on youtube highly recommend but uh this was talked about during that episode so i guess um a caretaker for the home uh his name is johnny hauser so he is a skeptic um and i think he's been the caretaker he might still be the caretaker but he Mm. was the caretaker for a long time and he had a couple strange experiences and one that they talked about uh this is really interesting so he was up in the um the more family children's room so the upstairs room and he locked the door behind him when he went up there because he was just, you know, checking on things, doing caretaker things, whatever. And he said uh, he didn't want anyone to follow him in. So he locked the door. But when he was up in the room, he heard someone come in, enter through the front door and walk into the kitchen. Ooh. And he they've had issues with like trespassers and stuff in the past. So he assumed that this was a trespasser and he decided to like play a little prank on them. So he got into the closet in the upstairs bedroom <laughs> and um, waited for them because he could like hear them coming yeah. up the stairs toward him. <laughs> and so he hears someone come up the stairs, come into the room that he's in. And then he like, he vividly hears them. And so he like jumps out of the closet. He says he kicks the door open. Oh my <laughs> gosh. And he like screams intending to scare yeah. this person. Um, and there's like no one there. And he said he was like, just like the wind was knocked out of him that he, there was no one there. Cause he like knew that somebody was in the room with them. Oh um, man. Yeah. So this really freaked him out, obviously being a skeptic, especially. Um, but then I just want to mention too, like on the BuzzFeed Unsolved episode itself, um, like Shane and Ryan are the two investigators and they always have like goofy, fun experiences. But yeah. um, a couple of the things that I thought were kind of interesting is they were using the spirit box quite often and they kept having like the same voice come up on the spirit box, like over and over again, kind of saying things like hard to stop and uh, stop mm, me, which right. I thought was kind mm-hmm. of interesting and creepy yeah Yeah. so yeah there was a there's quite a few other um instances of um, people having some like intriguing paranormal experiences i know um there is another ghost show too where it was like a couple they were doing like an evp recording and they also got a um like an evp that said something along the lines of like stop me or like they said what did you do to this family and they like caught a voice saying i killed them or something um yeah so very some people think that the house is like haunted by the spirits of the people who died there and others think that it was that it's haunted by the actual killer himself so but people have a lot of really creepy experiences there so yeah would be interesting interesting to check it out um yeah absolutely so megan closing thoughts (laughs) So I was on the website for the murder house and I thought this was interesting. So as John mentioned, you can book a daytime tour, you can stay overnight if you want to. And 
you know, as with an Airbnb or a VRBO, there, <laughs> there are rules in place, which some of them are like obvious, like, oh, pick up your trash. Don't leave your cigarette right. butts. But like some of them are very interesting to me. This is from the people who own and operate the house as of right now. No writing on, on or in the barn. No writing okay. on or in the house. No animals right. in the house. So obviously, like what? No, obviously no dogs and cats, but like no sacrifices. That's what made me think. <laughs> like, <laughs> could be. like no bringing chickens or goats. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. This is interesting. You cannot sleep in the beds. You need to bring okay. a sleeping bag and pillow and sleep yeah. on the floor or maybe yep. on the on a cot or something and then no yeah. flames or candles in the house so that oh. makes me think no seances right mm -hmm. so it's interesting because they're very like pro like get stuff on video get stuff on audio yeah. share it with us but they're kind of reining in what you can do in the house so yeah you can have fun but not too much fun i'm sure yeah. they've had plenty of issues in the past with people yeah. doing that kind of weird stuff so yeah. i guess i don't blame them but that is really funny yeah there's stories about kids coming in there and doing ouija board like i said or doing the mm -hmm. pentagram thing and yeah um, yeah we if we ever go there ladies we if we decide to stay overnight we'll just have air mattresses or just stay for a couple hours and do yeah. our thing and get out <laughs> We yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I'd sleep. I wonder, like, if it's. I can't imagine it's the original beds in there. Like, they don't. Yes, people... the Is it really? Yeah. Wow, that's that's crazy. It's kind of yeah, messed so up. Yeah, it would break. And wow, because of anything of your <laughs> body, it's just they're so fragile. It's right. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> in the BuzzFeed Unsolved episode, they were sitting on the beds. I'm sure yeah, that they that were given so permission weird. to. <laughs> Yeah, that was weird. Yeah. So, so we will wind up this episode by saying that we understand that this is, is a very uh, difficult episode for people to hear. So, again, you know, you can always fast forward, but we try to make not fun of it, but like to have a little fun so it doesn't yeah. make you feel that bad. <laughs> but it's still right. But if you have any theories upon who did it of any of our suspects or suspects of your own, again, dairylandfrights at gmail.com or go to YouTube, hit subscribe, give a nice comment. Um, also, if you've been in the house or have stayed over, please let us know. We'd like to hear your story. So, yeah. again, like we say, say hi to your ghost and be nice to your family. Don't kill them with an axe. Try <laughs> to work things out. Okay? Yeah, just yeah there's right. other other things you can do yeah there's other things you can do there's plenty of good therapists and stuff out there so anyway <laughs> um we wanted this episode uh, anything you want to add megan or brooke no i think we covered it i'm yeah, yeah. I'd I love, love to hear it. other people's theories, though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is a long episode, but there's so much involved and there's so many things to talk about. We could have went on for another hour. So, but if we want to revisit it, we can, right? For sure. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. We will see you uh, uh, with another great episode. And again, you know, feel free to reach out to us. We always love to hear from you. Okay, ladies. Talk to you later. Bye. This is John from Dairyland Frights, and are you scared of your podcast hosting site? 
Well, not anymore, because with Podbean, you can get a free month of hosting for your podcast. And also, yes, there's more. You can get $100 of free advertising for your podcast, where you can advertise on Dairyland Frights or in many other podcasts on Podbean. So don't be scared and come over to Podbean today. And you can go to Dairyland Frights, podbean.com. That's Dairyland Frights podbean.com so don't be scared come over to podbean we love it you'll love it too